Chapter 9 of A Candle for Our Lady by Regina Victoria Hunt. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter 9 Turning from the vast Roman Norman citadel of Castle Acre, with its stone keep and embattled towers swathed in mist, Jim and Joan struck out along the green way to the right. Ancient, pre Roman peddler's way lay inviting a few miles north. But that, they were told, they some miles west of Fakenham, where they would find Palmer's Way, the usual route from the south to Walsingham. How long they had been on the road they could not have said, through forest and fen, over the wild sandy heaths of Norfolk, Reckland, carpeted now with rosy heather, they had come in sunshine, wind, and rain, tramping, too, most of the way, with only an occasional lift in a farmer's jogging cart. But this was Holy Saturday, and they were nearing their goal. Their greatest concern at the moment was food. Haven't you a penny left, Jim? Not one, Joan. Jim shook his empty wallet. But we're coming into wooded country again. There'll be wild nuts and berries, at least. Ugh, they're sour. Well, this is Lent still, so a little added fasting will be a merit. And then we did have one meal yesterday at the monastery back yonder. A boiled egg for each and some rather moldy bread. What was the matter, Jim? That wasn't the poor monastery. Jim shook his head. I don't know. Perhaps it's one of those we've heard about that has submitted to the king. Aye, that must be it. For you saw how little they liked our mention of the pilgrimage. One of the monks would have told us something. But was silenced by the father superior. Jim reflected on the cold, inhospitable atmosphere of that community. How different from the reception given pilgrims when their grandparents went to Walsingham. But twill be all right, Joan. Jim spoke with more confidence than he felt. Once we get on Palmer's way, we'll meet other pilgrims. Then when we come to Walsingham, remember what Grandmother told us, how the pilgrims were welcomed and feasted by the Austin canons who guard the sanctuary? Cheered by the prospect of anticipated comforts, Joan plucked up courage to endure present hardships and tried to ignore the pangs of hunger. But as the day dragged on into dusk, accompanied by a heavy drizzle, hunger relieved only by a handful of hazelnuts and some wild berries, as sour as Joan had predicted. Both their spirits sank. Jem stood on a small knoll. There's a town over yonder, he said. Must be faking him. I can't walk another foot tonight, said Joan, sinking down against a tree trunk. All right, we'll shift as we can. Come, I'll build us a bower off the roadside. Chilled and foodless as they were, they crept into the shelter of the interlaced boughs, and, the precious taper lay between them, soon fell sound asleep. Jim was awakened by Joan's cries. He started up, seeing that it was day. Also, that it was raining. "'We'll be drenched to the skin if we walk in this,' said Joan, pulling the warm blue hood over her brown curls. Jim laughed. "'What's a little rain?' A little rain? Why, it's falling in sheets. Only a shower. But Jem saw dark rain clouds banked against the horizon, and knew they might be caught in a downpour. He coaxed her to hurry, and before another hour ran out, they had passed Fackenham's gabled houses and sprinkling of chimneys to enter leafy Palmer's Way. Here they met a solitary pilgrim, a middle-aged man wearing an ancient russet gown and carrying a gnarled staff. "'Sir,' Jim hailed him, "'can you direct us to an inn? "'Joan, my sister, is nigh starving from our long pilgrimage.' 
An inn? The stranger surveyed them out of keen blue eyes. There's one at Uton in the Dale. I'll bear you company if you will. Jem thanked him, but he saw Joan casting suspicious glances at their new companion as they walked in the wet dawn. You spoke of a pilgrimage. Are you for Walsingham? Aye, sir, said Jem. We intend to be there for Mass on this feast of our Lord's resurrection. And to pray for our grandmother's repose, Joan added, careful not to mention the candle which was now the sole content of the sack Jem carried. At the shrine? The stranger stroked his square-cut chin. News travels slow. You've come quite a distance from your speech. Jim made little of the stranger's muttered comment. From Iworth and Bedford, we've come across Cambridgeshire and Norfolk. He answered Joan's signs and grimaces with a slight shake of the head. If their acquaintance was other than he seemed, they would in any case soon be quit of him. On reaching Uton, in fact, he indicated the inn standing near the delicately spired slipper chapel, and courteously bade them good day. Jem drew Joan into the walled courtyard and then into the common room of the inn. A handful of early patrons turned to stare at the bedraggled pair. Jem set his eyes on the host, a burly, bald-headed man wrapped around with an enormous apron. "'Out with you,' he bawled, waving huge hands. "'No beggars or vagrants here.' Jem stood his ground. We are neither, but pilgrims to Our Lady's Shrine. We've journeyed across two counties afoot to attend Easter Mass. Pilgrims? To Walsingham? The host's laugh was like a bellow, echoed by the others, who guffawed and slapped their knees, but a covetous gleam shone in the innkeeper's eye. Why, now, if you're pilgrims, you'll have brought gifts, surely. What have you in that knapsack? A candle, Jim replied shortly, stung by the laughter. A candle? Let's have a look. And the big man pulled the sack open, drawing out the glistening taper. Mary, pure wax and over two pound weight. I make you an offer, boy. Breakfast for you both in exchange for this candle. Thanks, said Jem coldly, withdrawing the candle. But this is for Our Lady. The innkeeper used a wheedling tone. It's a fair offer, young master. Good day, said Jem. Come, Joan. He turned to see the man in the mendicant's gown, watching the scene from the open door, but he had vanished when they came out. "'We'll go yonder to the chapel, Joan, and take off our shoes, as pilgrims are wont to do. Though men have altered in these parts since our grandparents' day, we'll honor Our Lady in the old way.' In the dim light of the little chapel, with its exquisite wood carvings and colored rood screen, they put off their worn, mud-cake shoes. After resting a few minutes, they trudged on, carrying their shoes. Jem stopped now and then to gather marigolds and bluebells to make a nosegay for Our Lady. The promised rainstorm had not come, and the day was clearing as they entered Walsingham. Their spirits soared like skylarks winging above them. Look! Jen pointed to the famous arch of the Augustinian Priory, standing far above the low roofs of the small town. That must be it! Jim hurried Joan along. Well, we've not had the entertainments on the way that our elders had, but we're here, and we've kept our vow. And should have all the more merit for the hardships we've encountered. Jen pulled the faded hood over her head. But where, where is everyone? Are we late? I, why, I don't know. And as they reached the priory, Jim stood aghast. Shattered walls, a heap of rubble, roofs stripped of lead, stared at them. 
Desolation hung over the half-demolished priory. There was no sign of the cannons in their black hoods. As for the chapel, where was it? They ran round one side and the other of the awful ruin. No trace, nothing to tell them that Our Lady's shrine had ever stood there. But, Joan argued, it can't have just disappeared. Despairingly, Jim turned to her, then saw the brown-clad mendicant approaching. Good sir, he said, what has happened? Isn't this Walsingham Church and Priory? Isn't it Our Lady's Shrine? End of chapter 9